Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Listen Local. I'm your host, Julian, Mark, and um, I'm here with uh, Zach Frenette. Is that correct? That's Did I say correct. that right? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and Joe Eskenazi. Hey. How are you guys doing this morning? Uh, tired, as every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, well, you know, it's, um, you know, today we're going to um, talk about one of the most, uh, the more interesting and sort of exciting um um, sort of uh, pieces of of this election, which is Proposition C. Um, it has uh, gotten a lot of attention because um, Mark Benioff, um, the uh, the CEO of Salesforce, uh, threw uh, his full support and uh, a lot of money behind it, and it has kind of become a national story because uh, we are we are seeing him sort of you know argue it out with other tech titans in this city, uh, including uh, Jack Dorsey, the uh, CEO of Twitter and Square. Um, but you know, we, you know, with all of this sort of um, opposite, and by the way, Proposition C is a uh, measure to fun, uh, you know drastically sort of uh, infuse the city's coffers with um, with lots and lots of money, almost doubling uh, the budget for homelessness um, by levying a, a tax on the richest companies, and so thus the uh, argument among billionaires. Um, but you know, we kind of uh, you know, with all of the mudslinging and all of the money and all of this, we kind of lose you know uh, what the spirit of the measure is and kind of exactly what it might do. And so you know, we um, Joe, you wrote a story about you know about Zach uh, this week, and um, I just wanted to ask you know Zach, um, uh, first of all, you know, um, where did you know wh- what is your story like? What did you where did you come from, and uh, and where are you now? I guess. Thank you, Julian. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I grew up in the Bay Area. I've lived in almost uh, all of the major counties within the immediate vicinity of San Francisco. Uh, I moved around a lot as a kid. There was a lot of instability in the household, um, a lot of abuse and trauma, um, and also a lot of a lot of love. But it was always intermingled with uh, chaotic events that were surrounding my my early development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of always shuffling from place to place. I spent some time in the foster care system. I've spent some time in the juvenile justice system as I started to act out based on um, difficulties I was experiencing in my home. Um, And it kind of culminated uh, just after I had turned 15 with the the premature death of my mom in a car Mm, accident. Um, And that's where my behaviors really started to escalate. Um, I started getting more heavily involved with drugs and using drugs. Um, and by the time I was 19 years old, I found myself uh, addicted to heroin and other substances and homeless living out of my, my car. Mm. Um, and, that, and this is around the Bay Area or? Yeah, this is all, all mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and so you were, you know, you, live, you were living out of your car and, um, and so, but, you know, obviously you're not doing that now. And, and sorry, mm-hmm. how old are you? Uh, I'm 24 years old. You're 24 years old. Okay, so it's been you know a bit of a journey to get to where you are. But what are you doing now? Uh, so these days I work uh, full time for a company called Association Reserves. We uh-huh. create long term capital budgeting plans for uh-huh. a variety of different organizations. Um, up until a couple months ago, I was also a city commissioner where I chaired the Justice Employment Committee at wow. the San Francisco Youth Commission. Wow, not bad. Uh, primarily working on alternatives to incarceration for 18 to 24 year olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also been active throughout the past two years since getting off the streets um, as a board member of a local political club, um, as an associate board member for Folsom Street Events, uh, advocacy board member of the California Coalition for Youth, as well as chairing Larkin Street's Youth Advisory Board. So you, you're, you're obviously doing a lot and you know, you're, you're very busy. Um, and, um, and where are you living now? 
Uh, today I live in a small studio apartment in the Tenderloin neighborhood, uh, actually almost directly next to Glide. Wow, that's mm -hmm. great. That's great. So, you, so you have a, you know, you you're living you're living in the city. You have a very active life. Um, how did you get from you know living in your car, you know, in the Bay Area to you know sort of where you are now? Well, uh, just after my twenty second birthday, um, I, I had a partner at the time when I was living on the streets, and she was ready to stop living in the way that we were. Mm. Um, and the thought of losing my my last real human connection that I had out there uh, was really too much to bear. Mm. So I decided to give treatment a shot. Um, I got services at Walden House uh, through HealthRight 360. That's where it, I went for um, treatment. And once we got there, they provided me with counseling and therapy and obviously some cognitive behavioral supports that I was in critical need of. Um, and then they also started to help me bridge out to other service providers that I was going to need along the journey. So that was primarily Larkin Street, and I was connected there through my therapist at Walden House. And um, Larkin Street is obviously, is this something that is funded by, by, by city money, or is this, I mean, uh, I guess the question, you know, I guess I'm getting at here is, you know, whether or not, you know, the, you know, institutions that, you know, sort of uh, you, you went to for help or that, you know, sort of provided you with help, these are uh, city services, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so HealthRight360, Larkin Street Youth Services, um, the Castro Country Club is another organization I utilize services at. Mm -hmm. All of these are supported um, by city funding. And so, you know, uh, and, and you owe the, you know, you part, you owe, uh, you know, your success now sort of partly to uh, these the services or? I, I would say primarily. Yeah. Um, I don't see any way that I would have been able to have successfully accomplished some of the things that I have without mm -hmm. having the support of these services. I mean, when I was when I was freshly off the streets and just a brand new baby in sobriety and recovery, mm -hmm. uh, the biggest thing I was missing was like a lack of direction and a sense of security. And the sense of security is something that I, I never really had throughout my childhood. But the lack of direction was something I had lost progressively as I started to get older because of the things I was experiencing. Um, and that sense of direction uh, has just been an immense game changer for me. Um, it's an entire difference to wake up in fear about, you know, is today the day that I am not going to be able to be successful? Is today the day where I'm not going to be able to get what I need? And then waking mm. up and knowing that while not everything is going to be perfect these days, uh, I am comfortable enough in my own skin and my own abilities to believe in myself and also impact my, my community in a positive manner. So, and, and all of that I got through, um, a, just the foundational services, mm. the housing, the counseling, um, but also the, the leadership programs that I was able to partake in, really? primarily at Larkin Street, that have kind of set my feet on the path that I am today. Um, so I guess, you know, the question now is, is, you know, you've, how do you feel about the arguments that, you know, the, you know, the money that we've, we have in, you know, San Francisco, uh, to fund homeless, uh, homeless services and supportive housing, housing services, or just all supportive services. Um, um, how, how is these, how are these arguments to you? I guess I understand it, that you, they're a bit disingenuous. Yeah, I feel like they are disingenuous. I, I think that they do a very good job of taking a small sliver of the data and then making hyperbolic statements about that sliver of the data. Hmm. Um, I think that to discuss homelessness and the rates of homelessness and not talk about the affordable housing crisis is disingenuous. Um, I think to paint San Francisco as a city with a progressive image and that's welcoming to people of all walks of life and all backgrounds, uh, many of whom come here 
because of what San Francisco represents. Mm. And then say if they fall through the cracks and end up on the streets, that it's not our responsibility to take care of them anymore is disingenuous. Um, and I also think it's disingenuous and directly damaging to attack the service providers that are doing incredible work in our community um, as not being uh, accountable to the, the taxpayers, the city, or their their clients. Now, uh, you know, are there uh, other, you know, are there other folks that have, you know, sort of uh, gone through the same sort of, um, you know, experience that you've gone through that uh, are kind of feeling the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very common discussion that I'm having um, at least almost once a day in multiple different community spaces, both with formerly homeless individuals, individuals who are now in recovery Mm -hmm. or struggling with recovery, um, anyone whose life has been touched by the the services that are provided, not just directly in homelessness, because there's the intersection with so many other issues, uh, mental well-being, behavioral health services. Um, A lot of people in my community have benefited for a long time from the work that's coming out of uh, the AIDS Foundation and other organizations like that, all of whom would not be able to successfully create change in people's lives without these sort of of funding mechanisms. Right, right. Um, did you ever sort of when you were um, kind of going through this, this, this system ever sort of experience, you know, or see places where, you know, that you could identify, oh, this needs more funding, or, you know, these people are being left behind, because there, there isn't enough funding? Did you kind of see this? I, I mean, it's pretty much across the board. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but especially when we're talking about, um, you know, young folks in the city, we currently do not receive the adequate in terms of how much of a percentage we are of the population we are not receiving funding being allocated to that degree for to young people or for for young people really i believe it's nine percent of the funding with 24 percent of the population something like that and wait why sorry why is that uh, because, I mean, there's a number of reasons. I can't give you the reason, but mm-hmm. the reason that's come back to me uh, I, before I came and worked with uh, Mission Local, I wrote a story about this for The Guardian, mm. is that uh, the city wishes to address the most visible uh, in-your-face problem. And many of the young people like Zach um, are well enough to stay out of sight, um, uh, you know, but, you know, it would make good sense to invest in young people because young people, uh, if not helped, become chronically homeless older people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, but you know, we we as a city, even with the vast budget we have, tend often to address the problems that are right in front of us. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so you so you encountered quite a, quite a few uh, quite a few young people like yourselves who are you know like yourself who are kind of getting left uh, left behind. Is that yeah I correct? Mean, they're, or? they're getting left behind primarily because there's a limited amount of resources. Uh-huh. I think that when the Tay plan came out a couple years ago, feel free to correct me. if you. Could you explain that. what that is? I'm sorry. There was a, a plan that was done maybe in 2014 mm-hmm. um, that was uh, essentially a, a comprehensive plan towards addressing homelessness in the Tay population, which for those who don't know is transitional aged youth, uh-huh. young okay. people between the ages of 18 and 24. Okay. Um, and they have not even yet been able to hit the numbers in terms of how many supportive beds they can provide that, that was laid out in, in that plan. I mean, we've been steadily able to increase uh, how many supportive beds that we're providing to transitional aged youth. Um, we got some money from the federal government that came in about two years ago, which will help. Uh, I've seen the state start to react slowly but and sluggishly, but react nonetheless. I, I think mean, I think they freed up something like $35 million for multiple cities or counties, which is, you know, I mean, that's a lot of money if you put it in a pile. Right. But, you know, there, there are lots of needs, and it was multiple cities and counties. 
So what is most of the what is most of the uh, the money going towards right now? Um, you know, there's how, how much how much is in the budget for for homeless services? Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred to four hundred million, depending upon you know uh, how you break it down. Do right now, include, do you include police? Do you include DPW? Right. Uh, stuff like that. I see. And and I think I think Zach could tell you full well it's going to housing. Oh, it's going to housing and and going towards. Uh, I mean, well, what I what I guess I want to know is you know we come we hear this you know this very common argument you know we have you know three hundred some odd million dollars to you know spend on homelessness and we have you know seventy five hundred homeless people. That's you know. a fool's argument. So why is that a fool's argument? Because that's not how it works. You don't just take the budget and divide it by the homeless people. The money goes <laughs> right. to keep people off the street. Right. It goes to keep people in their homes. And those, right. then those people are not, quote unquote, homeless. So like, if you do 10 minutes of research, you won't make that argument unless you wish to, you know, uh, spread mistruths, which, which, you know, some people might. Is this, is this kind of the hyperbole you're, you're talking about a little bit? Yeah. Kind of just di- dividing the you know, the budget by the the number of people who are on the street in any given night? Yeah, that's absolutely um, a false truth. You cannot... <clears throat> a, the point in time count is exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, volunteers in the community go out, and I, I've done it several times, actually, and we do the best we can in trying to identify homeless individuals. Right. Um, going into it, we know we're going to miss people. There are people who go to great pains and lengths to avoid not being seen who are homeless. So we're going to miss those folks. Right. Um, you're also going to miss the folks who are imminently at risk of homelessness. Um, people who are doubled up, tripled up, um, living in bad situations that are really only going to take one small event uh, to propel them directly onto the streets. I, I believe that the, the estimates for how many people San Francisco expects to be on the streets throughout the total year is closer to 15,000. And again, that completely ignores the fact that we are already providing um, permanent supportive housing to, I, I believe, eight or nine thousand individuals. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's where the money is going. Mm-hmm. Primarily. Yeah. And 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 what is what does the money go towards? If you could, you know, sort of explain, uh, like what what it, it actually does for 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 the people. Yeah. So I mean, um, it provides housing through a variety of different models. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the oldest and kind of most tried and true quote unquote um, is the permanent supportive housing model which is for individuals uh, for the most part who have been on the streets for um, significant Mm. chunks of their life Mm -hmm. um, and it provides them safe and secure housing where they can um, remain affordable primarily by having their rent um, be prorated based on their income at a level that they're going to be able to pay. Mm. Um, it also goes to funding uh, programs like the program I'm in, which is a, a flexible uh, subsidy program. What, so, it, what is it called? It's called, the program I'm in is called Pathways. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the Pathways program, um, which essentially allows, and, and I think that programs like this are especially critical um, for people my age who might not necessarily have rental history, mm-hmm. might find it difficult to um, obtain a lease, especially in a, in a market that's as inhospitable as San Francisco's. Um, and essentially what happens is that uh, the young person is allowed to find a place on the, on the fair market, the fair market, right, um, <laughs> and uh, engage with the landlord with the support of a case manager um, to sign a lease that's in their name, which allows them to build that rental history that's going to be so critical for mm-hmm. moving on. Um, and then the program will be subsidized uh, based on the need of the young person um, and in agreement with the, the case manager. So the nonprofit uh, guarantees the landlord that they will cover the rent, mm. that they will, in most cases, put down the 
first, last uh, security deposit. Um, and then there's a negotiation between the young person and the service provider about how much of the percentage they're going to pay. That's a conversation that gets revisited every couple of months um, to see, has your income gone up? Are you in school full time? So maybe you don't earn as much and kind of renegotiate that conversation as it moves forward. And it, it's also a win for the, the landlords as well, um, because they get guaranteed that they're going to receive their money and that the unit's going to be returned to them in the condition that it was rented out at. Um, it's and when you compare it, the metrics to permanent supportive housing, it's also uh, a much more inexpensive option. Um, building and operating uh, large single site affordable housing developments is significantly more expensive than just paying part of the rent for somewhere on the fair market, even if even if it's in San Francisco. Mm. This is this is flexible. It allows you to to work with what we've got. Right. You know, there are difficult discussions to be had about whether it makes sense to build housing in the most expensive real estate market in the world, you know, uh, and then subsidize them. And those are difficult conversations to have. But the, the program Zach is in, I mean, this is to, to swing it back to Prop C. Uh, we know where the money is going. It's going to things like this. It's mm. it's laid out. Right. I've I've seen some arguments that are better than others, but a lot of the arguments that are meant to really hook into people's emotions that come with glossy photos of filth and misery on the streets are, are not fair, honest arguments. We know where the money is going. We have audits for all that. Uh -huh. And, you know, 10 years ago when I wrote about this, we did not have the level of accountability that we do now. It used to be 10 years ago, you'd bring out someone like Zach and say, we saved his life, and, and Zach would, you know, would explain that. Now they have metrics. They have outcomes. It's, you know, you don't get the money if you don't prove that you're doing things. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but I would say that across the level of San Francisco government, we could find other instances of, of, uh, uh, of questionable accountability uh, if we wanted to hover over everything like that. Right. You know, the, 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 the mantra now of let's fix this up and then let's give them the money certainly didn't hold with the police department when we wanted to give them all those extra cops and that extra money, and that's a department that is arguably in shambles. Right. Uh, it didn't hold with, the, with public works, which we have notably uh, uh, terrible street conditions, and we right. gave more money towards street cleaning. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a double standard here. I think it really, honestly, I really think it comes because of the source of the money of Prop C, which is incredibly wealthy tech companies and other such companies. Right. And so, I mean, to, to kind of, uh, just, to, just to be clear here, the extra money or some of this extra money that is coming from these large tech folks, they, they are, this would be going to fund programs similar, you know, a lot of it would be going towards support, uh, building and sort of maintaining supportive housing. Is that correct? So it, it really covers a wide swath uh -huh. of services that need to be addressed if we're going to fundamentally uh, tackle this issue. Mm -hmm. um, so at least 50% of it is going to go directly into housing which i mean at the end of the day the solution to homelessness is housing mm -hmm. um, it's not a radical concept uh, but it also provides funding to address uh, mental health and behavioral health services which is a huge part of what we see on our streets um, and then a little bit of it's going to go towards uh, back-end preventative measures right like the person who maybe is a couple hundred bucks short for their rent or doesn't have enough money to cover utilities for a month uh, we need to do a better job of identifying uh, ways that we can keep people who are currently housed from entering into homelessness. Right. Because it's far uh, more humane to keep people stably in their housing. It's far more likely to allow them to continue to be successful. 
And it's, again, it's the best way to get the bang for your buck to give someone a couple hundred bucks so they don't lose their home than have them enter the streets, maybe develop health issues, uh, and then need to re-enter the system with a, with a more significant subsidy. Um, in addition to providing uh, vastly expanding our short-term shelter um, system right. as well, which right. is something that's also needed very critically. I mean, we, we have a thousand person backlog on our shelter mm. and that's, that's the status quo. That's those are real people. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a thousand people. And the argument that, that expanding the homeless services in the way that we propose to is going to bring homeless people here does not jive with the subsequent uh, uh, proposition from uh, the mayor to expand thousand shelter beds. How would that not bring more people here then? Right. It, it's, it's, it, the arguments do not work if you give them a moment's thought. And something Zach intimated is that um, this is not only uh, humane, it's also bottom line good finance. Yes, this is a lot of money. And let us not forget it's Jack Dorsey's money. It's Mark Benioff's money. It's a lot of money. But it's also money that you can't avoid spending. If you don't administer to people, you will be spending more on the back end for less successful, less happy outcomes. You will be spending more and you will have incurred more misery and more damage. Uh, so, so it's always better to spend on the front end. It's always less. Would you rather put oil in the car? Or would you rather have the car explode on, uh, on 101 and have the engine fuse together? Okay, so, I mean, obviously, you know, it sounds like we have kind of something of a no-brainer, you know, on our hands. You I, know? I, I feel it is. <laughs> I feel that the arguments against it are disingenuous. So, but, but, okay, but why? Why, you know, if we, if we have something that is so obvious, obviously good and, you know, uh, why, why do we have, you know, our, uh, you know, the city's top sort of politicians, or at least some of them, and those who are representing us in Sacramento, and our top sort of tech people, why are they against this? I mean, why, why, why could the mayor possibly be against, um, against uh, doubling her budget to take care of this single, you know, most important issue in, in, in San Francisco, or at least, you know, one of the most important issues? Do you, you want say? that one, or do you want me to <laughs> You both can take it. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into the heads of our politicians, but getting into the heads of the tech companies is very easy. Uh-huh. Uh, look at Jack Dorsey himself. His first whole line of defense was, oh, we have, to, we have to fall in line behind Mayor Breed. We have to fall in line behind Mayor Breed. But that's tautological. I'm sure Mayor Breed acted with input from a number of people, including folks like Jack Dorsey. And then when that seemed to, to, to lose some steam, he came out and said that the tax rate was uh, inequitable for Square because Square is a transactional company and they'd be charged as much or more as Salesforce with less, you know, but you're still talking about a one half of 1% tax on grosses above 50 million. Your first 50 million clears without anything. So again, as I wrote in the story, if we have a humanitarian crisis on our streets that people are dying and, and it's something that, you know, uh, Dorsey, who apparently, you know, claims to be a fan of surrealist art, but can't realize the surrealist situation of, of the wealthiest and, and, and the poorest colliding in mid-market, which he was given a tax break to revitalize, uh, is saying, this is inequitable. I can't save all these people because it's a bad tax deal for my second company. That's just not good enough. Right. And, and what's more, the tech companies pushed for and got the gross receipts tax in 2012. That hosed the banks. That hosed the real estate interests. That hosed the hedge funds. They paid more because they, you know, they don't have a lot of payroll. It was a payroll tax that we gave up. But you know what? That's okay. They're banks. They're hedge funds. They're real estate. They survived. If and, and as I said before, you know, Jack Dorsey intimated he would move Square out of San Francisco. I'll help him move. I'll help him move. I would rather help him move than help Zach move. And you know, uh, when it comes down to it, uh, so I mean, he will be replaced. People are coming to San Francisco every day. Another visionary, 
will come to San Francisco and start another company. Do you have anything to add to that? I strongly concur with everything that, that Joe just said. Um, I, I think that there there's a lot of things that you have to kind of look at. And again, I, I try and stay as far away from as intimating to other people's motivations as often as I can. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I certainly agree that when it comes to the the heads of the the large tech companies that have come about this this is this is about what it's always about and it's about money um which is unfortunate but the sad reality in power and politics as far as i've been able to see for the past several thousand years yeah um it's not uncommon it's not the first time it's happened i also think that and i, I believe it was robert kennedy who said that uh 20 of people are opposed to everything all the time um, and how I have taken to interpret that statement is that, you know, there are enough people who are always going to be opposed to attacks. Right. If it, it doesn't matter if it's attacks on them. It doesn't matter if it's attacks on people they don't like. Um, <laughs> there are enough people even here in the, in the heart of, of progressive San Francisco who are going to be opposed to taxes for the fundamental reason of being opposed to taxes. Right. Right. This um, is America. This, I mean, this you, is America. You do have to think. You do have to think because if I'm sent, if I come in completely clean and I'm sent a, a splashy flyer that has human misery on it and say they want more money and look at how bad things are, it's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. But then I would have to say, uh, well, the money is only coming from companies that are the highest grossing companies in San Francisco. And it's like, oh, well, then they're all going to leave. Like, oh, but the city economist said that the effect would be negligible on the city. That would be a one tenth of one percent effect on the city's, um, you know, overall economy over 20 years. That would cause a loss of some 800 jobs over the course of 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 uh, like a, a floating 800 job discrepancy over the course of 20 years. Yeah, right. So, and on the upside, you you would fund all of this housing and all of these services. And you know, again, you know, not to sound too mercenary here, if it's not quite as efficient as it should be, if the overhead is not quite there, if, if, if real estate costs go up, which they always do, so you can't quite house as many people, if the city has flush and suddenly that, you know, when you're dealing with private landlords to try and make a deal, they're, they're, they're chiseling you now, it's Jack Dorsey's money. <laughs> right. It's Mark Benioff's money. Right. It's, you know, it's not, and again, it's something I pointed out in the story that I wrote, uh, is that our elected leaders didn't seem so concerned about, you know, how unaccountable these homeless providers were when they wanted to raise the sales tax, which affects Zach when he buys a candy bar at the store, just as much as it affects Dee Dee Wilsey when she buys a Renoir. And, you know, uh, and they didn't seem so concerned about it when they wanted to uh, raise the commercial real estate tax, which they did uh, in June. Because you might remember we had competing early childhood service measure versus a housing and homeless measure. Well, it was it was Mayor Breed and Scott Weiner and others that were pushing Proposition D. We weren't concerned about the unaccountability of where these funds were going then for seventy million dollars, and now for two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars. I have concerns. It's 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 a it's a very confusing thing. And and again, the the more you think about it, the more it evaporates. But if you don't think about it, if you just react, oh, they they want more money, screw them. Um, that's that's a successful way of, of doing campaigns. It's, you know, Republicans win campaigns that way all the time. All right. So um, we're, we're, we're just running out of time, but I'm going to put it to both of you. Um, do you think, uh, do you think, uh, Zach, do you think this is going to pass? I do think this measure is going uh -huh. to pass. Uh -huh. I think it will fall short of the two thirds threshold, which means that unfortunately, I also believe that it'll get tied up in the courts. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of its fate is going to depend on uh, the fate of the, the previous proxy that, mm -hmm. that Joe had just mentioned. Um, and, and for final thoughts, I think that 
there, there are another two pieces of the puzzle that you have to take into account, um, which just specifically regard the timing of this particular measure. Um, the first and, and probably most significant is the, the federal tax cuts. Um, yeah, great which, point. Right. Which we have raised as a hue and cry. Uh, we have our elected fishu- officials talking about uh, the Trump tax scam, the Trump right. tax scam. Um, you know, we now have a, what, a trillion dollar deficit at the federal level. Um, I, I don't think we can authentically claim that what they did was a tax scam and then not try and make up for it on the local level, um, especially because as the as the 